Welcome to The Void Project. I'm Kira Higgs, a strategist, meditator, and athlete. With a little help from my friends, I'm learning how to pare back what I own. It's not just about having less stuff to manage. It's about exposing old concepts hiding behind the excess. I'm learning from the best and running my own experiments. Listen in on 10 conversations packed with practical wisdom, insights, and tips. I'm super excited to have Lisa Donahue joining me today for our conversation. Lisa is a brand expert, an entrepreneur, a visionary, a communicator, and a true woman of the world, dividing her time between homes in Berlin, New York City, and Portland, Oregon. She's a creator and a curator and a champion of fine food, art, and culture. Lisa, you made a really significant decision a few years ago to change your lifestyle. You expanded your presence by choosing Berlin and opting to move there. And you already had a place in New York and a place in Portland. How did you go about deciding what you were even going to take from your Portland home over to your new Berlin home? Well, I started this as an experiment. So it was initially in 2018, I was thinking of it as a sabbatical. So it kind of had a shelf life of a year. Now it's become my life. So I didn't want to go to the expense of a shipping container because that felt kind of overkill. So what I did was I looked at it as an opportunity to divide my wardrobe specifically into kind of the keepers and the givers, the the, the, the leavers. <laughs> and so what I did was I went through everything in Portland and I had fantastic Barney's sample sale. I remember this silk peasant skirt and just fabulous range of interesting pieces of clothes that I loved but never wore. So I put everything that I would be comfortable giving away to Goodwill, for instance, and I put those into two suitcases. And every time I would go back between Berlin and Portland, I would travel with more fabulous, but yet eventually going to Goodwill clothing. It was fun because I love constraints limitations always inspire creativity. So I love the idea that I got to have fewer pieces of clothing and had to find new creative combinations to wear them. And it was fun because I was giving attention to the beautiful pieces of clothing that had been underappreciated. So I got to have the last dance with some of these great clothes. And then I uh, said goodbye. And I have a group of women. In fact, we're having one this Sunday. We're doing a ladies clothing swap. And so I would just go with all these fabulous Kenneth Cole, beautiful shoes, and you know, just wonderful range of things. And, and women would discover them and that was new for them. And I would discover their old stuff. And it has this pleasure, this, this no way, zero waste component to it, which gives me and many people true pleasure. What strikes me about what you're sharing, a few things stand out. One is that it started as a sabbatical and you went into it open-minded knowing it, it may or may not become something more permanent. You didn't have to make a massive investment. You had a really smart way of leveraging what you already have. You didn't go over there with, with any kind of attitude that you had to live in an uncomfortable or deficit mode. You, you brought things that were already yours that hadn't been used and enjoyed them. 
The other thing about your story that I really like is that after you're done enjoying them, you're okay letting them go and sharing them with other people, acknowledging that they're beautiful items and they can be enjoyed by somebody else, not just you. And that's okay. Yeah. And that's how it should be. So we should be buying the best quality clothing that we can afford, not buying a lot of it, loving it and letting it go. So it's appreciating without being attached. And yeah, that's, that's definitely. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it's about. So then when you decided, ah, I do want to stay in Berlin, I'm going to make this more of a permanent residence. Was there another transitional point there? Well, I keep on importing the old stuff. <laughs> but I was about to travel with a friend to Oslo last spring. And so I have done some shopping but I might go shopping once a year now. So different mindset. I think it's living in a place where being is more important than having and owning, I find. With most of my colleagues and my friends, that that's a value system that I experience in Germany. I know there are many different value systems, but being outside of traditional capitalist economy, being in this environment where knowledge and arts and other things matter more, then what you own has had a big impact on me. So you divide your time between three homes. How do you set up your homes? You seem to do it really smoothly with a lot of panache. How do you do that? Well, it takes a village. I don't do it by myself. I have a pied-à-terre in New York that I bought 25 years ago, and my dad is my primary tenant there. So he's the caretaker of that space. It allows me to come and go easily. And then I spend most of the year between Portland and Berlin. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a great way to live. Unlike when I was 20 and moved to Paris, and we had no WhatsApp and no technology, and there wasn't easy, frequent conversation, so I didn't feel connected in that way. I can make work calls. I had a call to make this week to Hawaii, and that's no problem with just understanding time zones. And yeah, it's a great way to live. Are they similar in their aesthetic and in their, in their flavor? Or do you have a different feeling tone in each of those? Well, what I like to do with spaces is let the space inform the design and the expression. So in New York, it's a 1950s, mid-century Greenwich Village space. And I wanted to let the beautiful pine floors be exposed and have a color wall choice that really allowed my dad and his art collection to shine. That's the approach there. And Portland is a 1927 Mediterranean meets kind of English Tudor style home. This was almost 100 years old. And so I went with the 1920s style. Uh, but I, I think you would see a through line. I think there's my own personal narrative that comes through. So things that I have a, a tapestry that I bought at a market in Guatemala. So there's a story there, a poster of an artist that I might know from Pittsburgh that did an exhibition in Berlin. So there is a real attention to bringing life experience outside of the home and interests into my home that can provide reminders and smiles and make an imprint that's mine. And Berlin is a 1960s charming 
apartment building with five different apartments. So it's a house-like feel. And I have beautiful old trees and birds and a garden out back. And it has wooden beams. And so it has a built-in kind of attic, cozy, real nature-forward style to it. I was so surprised when you were beginning to furnish your place in Berlin to learn that it's common for apartments to not have closets and that people have closets that they carry with them from one rental to the next. And that's not how I've experienced it in the States. The reason it struck me probably is because I'm in the process of paring things down. And so the idea of one more thing that I would have to tote around was sort of stunning. And it seemed like a burden. And yet Berliners, that's just how they do it. It's just the way it works. What kind of things surprised you when you were in the midst of setting up your home for the first time, having decided to establish residency in Berlin? I didn't realize that apartments come without kitchens. That was a big shock. (laughs) It's not just closets that are missing. It's without kitchens. So you have to bring your own oven and appliances? Okay. Yeah, you do. About 80% of Berliners rent. So it's not a buyer's market. And so the landlords have historically recognized that since their tenants will probably stay with them for many, many years, the tenant wants to make the personal choice of how his or her kitchen will look and feel. So it's typically rented without a kitchen. I was lucky because I had the landlord put in the kitchen counters and a sink and a stove. And so that was considered a kitchen. All I had to add was the lighting fixtures and the dishwasher and refrigerator. I live in an attic apartment. And so the landlord, when he was renovating this space, built out the eaves. So I have really nice accessible storage in this apartment, but I don't have a closet per se, like we would think of closets in the bedroom. The first thing I did was order on Amazon two wardrobe hangers on wheels that allowed me to get everything out of boxes that had been in storage and get them hung up. And I still use that as my closet, actually. The last time we were together, you were telling me a story about a staycation because you were invited to leave your home just for a night and go stay in a really lovely suite. The contrast between that space and your space sparked something when you shared it with me. Could you tell us that story? Absolutely. Yeah. So Berlin, just for context, is nine times the size of Paris. It's huge as a city. Yesterday, I went out to dinner with a friend. It took me an hour and 10 minutes to get home on public transportation. That's two, almost two and a half hours to go out to dinner. So I have friends who have a little extra space. And one in particular lives in Mitta in the center of town. And she has an extra apartment adjacent to her main apartment. We were doing a staycation together and just having such a lovely weekend. And her space is beautiful with a wraparound terrace and great views and just lovely, very beautifully appointed. And what I noticed when I got home is there's a coziness of textures and lighting and aspects of how I've designed this tiny space. It's not as grand and as impressive as her space, 
But I think when we're designing spaces for us, we have to really think about what pleases us. I put together, with the help of friends, a beautiful little space here for me. As you know, I've been exploring options about what kind of home I would like to live in. And this whole question of size is a really interesting one because the home I'm leaving, I think, was too big. And Mm -hmm. a friend of mine that I was visiting in D.C., made a similar comment. She said, I've lived in some large homes and some smaller homes, and I really like the smaller places because I feel closer to my people when, when we're all here. So there's mm. a, an intimacy that she was identifying. And I, I'm noticing my inclination in that direction. It needs to be a large enough space to be able to have friends over, but yet cozy so that it feels like it really holds us and I'm not kind of lost in a vastness. And I'm only learning about that by comparison you know, this versus that and how they feel. When I invited you to be a guest on the podcast, we talked about why I started it. And you listened to me respond and then mirrored this back. Getting rid of the clutter in your life so you have empty space and the emotions around that process is what your podcast is about. And you totally nailed it. Thank you for so succinctly summing that up. You have had more than one time in your life when you've done that moths got into your carefully sealed bags of wool sweaters and other clothing? What was the cleanup like? Yes. I mean, this is everyone's nightmare. So you find that famous hole, that first hole, and you think, hmm, oh, well, maybe that's just a little issue. And then you find the second hole and then you start Googling it and you realize, oh my God, the infamous brown house moth is your worst nightmare. So it is just the beginning of what I think may be a lifelong saga. I still find myself dealing with it. I've had to do the rigorous house cleaning, moth protection, knowledge-based caretaking, seasonal changing, but also letting go and accepting the fact that I may have moths around, not in a crisis mode, but forever. And the more I research the environment and climate change and how that's affecting moth populations, and we all might actually be having this kind of issue. So it was a beginning of a rigorous commitment to seasonal changes and more attentive housekeeping and rotating, changing my summer, fall, winter clothes and making sure that they're protected. I just saw a moth like three weeks ago and I thought, okay, the reality is there's something munching away and it is what it is. I have to accept it and still be rigorous, but I can't live at the mercy of these little guys and and have it just cause tremendous stress. I have to live in a state of acceptance. I thought a lot about your situation when I put my things in storage. The people who manage those storage units, I chatted with them about what's going on in those big buildings. It's super interesting because some of them do some kind of a regular fumigation. They just do it on a schedule. Others only keep their eye out and they have pest inspectors coming around and looking for you know mice and moths and other things, looking for evidence of it. And then they would treat it. There's one, which is actually where I put my things, where the people whose possessions are there are very sensitive about how they're treated. So they're trying to use only natural remedies, which seems to have mixed results. 
So it's a thing. And when it's I put a thing. My, when I put everything in bins, I did the research, I sealed them up and crossed my fingers <laughs> that when I open them, they're not going to be a disaster. Lisa, when you have gotten rid of clutter in your life, so you have empty space, have there been emotions that you've become aware of by going through that process? I had so much fun for five months in Portland during the lockdown. That was such an opportunity to spend time in this wonderland of my Portland house, which is small but full of really interesting inherited things. And it's almost like a wonder cabinet. And that was great. That was really methodical. I spent mostly every day reevaluating everything in the kitchen and my hundred year old Riesling glass collection that I inherited and clothes and love letters. And I really had such a fun time paring it down and letting go and giving away. And there is a lightening of the load. I kept feeling rich the whole time. I thought, man, you have lived a really interesting life full of eclectic objects and stories and background. And my family has so many interests. And it was a lovely, almost encyclopedic journey of my own life and story. And then at the end of it was this pared down version of that that was highly chosen and edited with everything that I I really wanted to keep and have in my life. Wow, that is such a colorful story about how you did that. You could have been there and, and not gone through that process, but you did during COVID. Do you remember what motivated you to do that? Oh, I just think the reality of wanting projects and leveraging the opportunity and literally being stuck in the house by myself. And so for mental health reasons, I think we all need the dopamine hit of accomplishing. We need the to-do list. I mean, when I was in the pandemic, I had a dual track going. So I was living like a teenager. I was allowing myself the spontaneity of getting up at two in the afternoon or getting up at five in the morning. I remember at one point looking over at my KitchenAid and thinking to myself, oh my God, that is such a shame. I have the pasta maker and I've never made handmade pasta. So I just stopped what I was doing, took out the KitchenAid and made spaghetti. On the one hand, I was living like a teenager, just in this constant state of flow and spontaneity, but I also was scrubbing walls of my closets that I had never scrubbed before and using the time wisely in a way to be productive and have the pleasure of an organized life. I think everything in its place is one of the mantras that we've had multi-generational in my family. And it really does provide a sense of stress-free living. And so I wanted to get that house up and running in a pristine, it's always been organized, but in, in more of a pristine way. And also living in Germany, I have a new relationship to taking care of appliances and understanding once you invest in a state-of-the-art machine, dishwasher, vacuum cleaner, whatever it is, reading the manual, making sure that you're really taking care of your possessions. I love that story, Lisa. That is really inspirational. 
And I love how you're casting it in a whole different light mm-hmm. and really the objective to bring it into a pristine experience. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for joining me today. I have once again, as I always do, learned from you. I think the biggest thing I'm learning is the spirit with which I can approach my own, I'll call it sorting and curating process. And to remember that I have choice and to remember that I'm in charge of it. And it doesn't have to be approached with any kind of heaviness. It can really be a joy. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kira. What a fun conversation. Lisa highlighted some things that I'm not sure many people think about when it comes to working with their stuff and the kind of emotions that can be involved. I think most people tend to either have an experience or an idea that it has to be difficult and hard or complicated or frustrating or suffering. And and so refreshing to hear Lisa's recounting of the experience she had during COVID and actually describing it as fun when she sorted through her things. And what emerged was a pristine home, which is the kind of home that she likes to live in. I also really enjoyed her reference to the fact that being is more important than having. That really parallels my experience these days. And also that limitation leads to creativity. When we put some kind of parameters on what's possible, it does actually open up new doors. So I'll leave you with the notion that going through the process can actually be enjoyable as we let things go and what we discover can also be enjoyable. That's it for this episode. I look forward to sharing the next conversation of The Void Project.